Welcome to the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. It's episode 13. We're talking WonderCon. This yay. is Yay, WonderCon. Uh, this is Ali Matu, and I'm here with my fantastic co-host. H.A. Conrad. Hello, As- Ali. I missed you. I I'm, missed you too. I'm so glad you're back. I was getting all your little updates. I was super, super envious, but really, <laughs> honestly, I was so excited you were having such a great time. And I couldn't wait to record this when you oh, got back. So I'm well, really excited. Well, you know what? I, I was so excited to talk about this with you. And uh, you were definitely there with me in sunny Anaheim in spirit. Um, and it was a blast. There's a lot to talk about. Um, I am also excited to be back um, back home and no longer in a hotel. Uh, so, folks, we're talking WonderCon today. Uh, we're going to do a recap of this weekend's convention. Conrad, what do we have in the crossover? In the crossover, per your choice, we have Comic-Con <laughs> versus WonderCon, which which serves fans better. Is that kind of what you were thinking? Yeah, yeah. What's the better fan gatherings? The big old San Diego Comic-Con or its uh, sibling to the north, WonderCon? Yeah. Uh, and in keeping with the con tradition of this episode, we're going to be talking about our favorite uh, top five fan gatherings. Excellent. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what what comes out of that. Um, Conrad, where do we even get started with this? Well, give me a little bit of an overview. How is this compared to last year's? What what did you do first? And I should also point out that this was New Ann's first con, right? This was New Ann's first con. Um, you know, I've gone to, well, yeah, no, it was New Ann's first con. I've gone to convention, Star Trek conventions since fifth grade. Um, I went to a bunch when I was in elementary school, and then I went to a bunch when I, then there was a huge gap, and I went to a bunch in college. Um, and I've been going to Comic Con since 2010. Um, and throughout all, the, all that time, um, New Ann's never really been to one. She's been outside one. Um, but never inside. So that was kind of exciting uh, to go with New Ann for the first time. And um, how was it overall? You know, um, it was good, Conrad. I got to say it was good. I've been to WonderCon last year. Um, haven't been to it prior to that. Um, but it was a pretty positive experience. Um, I had a panel with um, with my friend and geeky psychologist, uh, Dr. Andrea Ledimenti. That went really well. I went to a bunch of cool panels. I, um, I didn't really buy anything this time, which is weird. Um, I, I, I don't know why. Maybe I was just too busy. Um, but I did um, meet a lot of cool folks. Uh, met up with some old friends, made some new ones. Um, I met a um, uh, an actress who met meant whose character meant a lot to me. Um, it was good stuff all around. I really got to say. Great. Well, do you want to talk about? Well, what do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about some of the panels you attended, or do you want to talk about your panel? Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about some of the panels I intend I uh, attended. I think that'll be pretty cool to get to get it started. And you know, I, I go to cons for um, every time I say that I keep wanting to go con or rad. Say Conrad, <laughs> exactly. That's the other thing. I, on the podcast, especially, I feel like I'm I'm like leaving off the rest of your name here. Um, I mean, I. I 
I go to cons. <laughs> there it goes again. Um, I go to cons for a lot of different reasons. Um, and part of it, a big part of it is um, the relationships, meeting cool people. A big part of it is meeting the different content producers and actors and actresses. Um, sometimes it's to get original art, stuff like that. But a big part of it also is to learn interesting nerdery kind of stuff. And there are pretty, there's some really good panels uh, that I got to learn a lot of cool stuff from. Um, we can't talk about all of them. And because otherwise this episode would be like three hours long. Because um, you and I like to nerd out. We do. Um, we do. <laughs> so I kind of highlighted my favorites and the rest we'll, uh, we'll put up in show notes. I made a bunch of recordings from a bunch of these. So you're going to put those up too, right? Those will be up cool. on, on the website so people can check that out. Um, the quality is variable depending on where I was seated in the room. But uh, there are some cool ones. Um, the first, Actually, the first panel I went to on Friday, um, what was it called? Uh, um, it was called Introduction to Graphic Medicine. Hmm. And... I was really intrigued by that. Um, it was a part of a panel series from the Comic Arts Council, I believe. They're a group of academics um, in higher education across the country, and they do a, um, a, a panel of programming within WonderCon and San Diego Comic-Con um, that is a bit more uh, education-related. Hmm. Not necessarily about teaching, but more related to higher education, professional programs, stuff like that. And it's pretty cool. It, it kind of blends in a lot of my experience um, going to professional conferences with this more fun, geeky experience of going to comic book conventions and conventions that celebrate the popular arts. So you had um, a few different doctors on this panel, physicians, and they talked about how they use comic books in um, training medical students. Hmm. Like, I didn't even know like people did that. <laughs> well, like what kind of training? So uh, the two doctors represented both spectrums of medical education. Um, one of the doctors was involved in um, training um, medical students in their first year. And the other doctor was involved in training medical students at the end of their uh, training. And what uh, one of them did, she um, she uses comics to help these medical students understand um, how to connect to and um, have empathy for patients. Um, and a big part of that is to read a lot of comics that are related to um, things that come up in medicine. Like they mentioned a comic called Cancer Vixen and Mom's Cancer. And how both of these comics are about the experience of finding out that you have cancer and the um, what goes through your head. And there's there was a panel where uh, there was a physician on one side. They showed an excerpt from one of these comics and they had a, um, a panel where uh, the woman is being told, uh, ma'am, you have cancer. And it's the, the thought bubble in the doctor's head and the thought bubble in the woman's head, the patient's head. And her thought bubble is just like racing all over the place. And the doctor's thought bubble is, is kind of like, I, I need to say this. I need to get out of here. And, uh, this, and, you know, how difficult and anxiety provoking it is for the physician to go through that. And um, 
the, this physician who uses this in, in their education talked about how um, it the thought bubbles in themselves can be so validating to the medical students who have a lot of anxiety and this whole idea of this imposter syndrome that they're going to be asked very soon to be doing this kind of things with patients, but they don't feel like they necessarily have the expertise to. Mm -hmm. And then the experience of building empathy and knowing what's going through the head of someone who's being told, you know, such major news. Um, so that's, I never even thought about cool. that. Yeah. It's like, have you ever, uh, did you ever have any academic experiences in college that integrated comics? No. Well, I actually did. Sort of, one of my favorites, um, not, well, I guess it is a comic book, but it's a, it's a comic by um, Scott McCloud called How Understanding Comics. Mm -hmm. And I honestly forget what class that I some had to pick this book up from. Like it was on the reading list for a certain class. And having been a comic book fan, I, I was surprised that I had never seen it before. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder when it was, um, I wonder when it was written. That might make sense. I remember um, seeing it. Yeah. Um, but in any case, it, it was this book that was, you know, not quite the same thing. And, and I think, I honestly think comics have come a long way in, in as a medium um, yeah. by which to, for people to tell stories and as we've discussed, address very serious issues. Mm -hmm. So I think that this is just one more avenue for that to happen. Yeah. And, you know, people process things visually and the way that a comic story, like the way a graphic novel reads is very different from reading text. I mean, there yes. is text, but the imagery, I think, um, just makes you think about things differently and you process it differently. Your visual cortex processes things differently than, than when you're reading. Um, so I think that this is great and really interesting. Well, what's, what's really cool. Um, one of the doctors, Dr. Ian Williams, um, he talks about how um, he's the one who uses this with uh, students um, at the end of medical school. He has his medical students create comics um, as a final project where they're talking about some experience from their medical education. And, you know, he also talked about how um, the resistance to doing some of that and some of these people haven't drawn in years. And these doctors were talking about how we need a crayon revolution because this idea of drawing is somehow drilled out of us in middle school and high school and people start to believe that they can't draw. Hmm. And they made this comparison of, um, you know, how well would you would you write? How wh What would your handwriting look like if you haven't written in a decade? You know, and have you ever heard of a book called Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain? No, I haven't. It's a really good one. I'll lend you my copy of it. Um, yeah. It is this and other people have done this as well. And basically one of the she does. A, it's by this woman named Betty Edwards. Mm -hmm. And one of the things she does is talk about that what you that phenomenon that you're talking about, how people believe they can't draw and think if they just can't draw right out of the box, then they must not be able to. And how it really is about basically training yourself how to do that and training yourself how to get in the right mindset. Um, and especially people that are maybe a little bit more, um, let's say, it's 
it's basically a skill that if you're not using it, it it's you, you lose it. It becomes extraordinarily hard to draw and to process things. But even if you don't draw well and, and you're doing some of these exercises in order to basically flip your mind a little bit, mm-hmm. you start to think about things differently overall. So it's a really interesting book. That makes a lot of sense to me. You and know, she, uh, even, she even has like a handwriting section, which is fascinating for me as my writing is now almost completely illegible. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was illegible to begin with, so you can imagine where it is now. But I, that makes a lot of sense to me. When you experience different language, mm-hmm. you think differently. And um, we... I can, it makes sense to me how you could think about comics as kind of another language and how it could change some of your thinking. And what we know about the brain is it's incredibly plastic. It changes. It's malleable. Um, We can learn new skills as adults. You know, I just learned how to swim a few years ago. I didn't know how to swim for most of my life. I learned as an adult. Um, So I love this whole idea of a crayon revolution. Um, And if anyone's interested, we'll put a a link in the show notes, but uh, Dr. Ian Williams and his colleagues on this panel have organized a comics and medicine convention uh, conference that's happening in Baltimore later this summer. So people can check it out. And I, I asked them at the end of the panel uh, during the questions, you know, how do you help academic institutions embrace comics? Because I had this idea, like, how did they even get to this place mm-hmm. where their medical deans um, were on board with this? And they said, you know, we get this question a lot. And the, it all comes down to feeding them good comics. And they gave the example of uh, this uh, graphic novel called Marbles. Have you heard of this? Yes. I, so I have not read this. And I'm very angry at myself because this sounds like something I need to read like immediately. Um, so Marbles, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a, a memoir of a comic book artist who had um, developed bipolar depression, right? Yep. And it, I looked at a few of the stills that they posted. I'm it surprised looks, you had not heard of this, actually. I, uh, that's why I'm really upset about this because it. Well, it's this, not too late. You can read it now. <laughs> no, I will. I I will. And um, it just uh, it opened my mind to how um, I can potentially use comics more in my training uh, with other psychologists. So I love this panel, Conrad. It was such a great way to start uh, the con. Um, I, you know, it's so funny. You just brought up marbles, and then the other uh, graphic novel that came to mind. Just about, um, just about feeding people good comics. Yeah, it's one of the ones that I just recommend to people is is called the Underwater Welder. The Underwater Welder. I have not heard of that either. Yeah, it's actually one of, of one of my friends recommended it to me. I believe it came out in twenty twelve, perhaps. Um, but it really is um, really good. So anyway, just just throwing that your way you should do i'll put that on my radar too um i just literally wrote that i mean if you don't cry reading this it's just really amazing anyway (laughs) i don't want to i honestly don't want to give a synopsis because i don't want to ruin it but it's yeah it's really good so (laughs) well that's how i started out the day um there's a bunch of other panels i went to but two i want to highlight uh next are the uh, strong women and the creators who empower them as well as the battle for multicultural heroes now um what was really cool about both of these panels is um 
how much they were um, talking about some of the issues we raised in our previous episode. I think it's episode number 10, Culture and Comic Books. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were talking about um, uh, depictions of women in comics as well as depictions of multicultural heroes and villains in comics. Um, you know, the uh, the strong women and the creators who empower them panel had uh, Kelly Sue uh, uh, De Conic, yep. um, who's done Captain Marvel. Um, and I think who, we talked about her. We talked about her. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about her in uh, episode number 10. And then uh, Gail Simone, who has done a number of things, um, but right now really known for Batgirl um, as, well, as well as Red Sonia. Um, and then on the multi- Battlefield Multicultural Heroes panel, um, my friend Andrea Letamenti was on that panel as well. Um, Tony, crazy for Comic-Con Kim, who we've talked about on our Culture and Comic Books panel. And um, let me pull up um, the other individuals and make sure I don't leave them off. Where? Oh, Conrad, my show notes are so disorganized. Ah, yes. Um, Andre Meadows, um, who is a, he's got a really awesome, popular YouTube show on uh, Emily Ong, who's a founder of the stylishgeek.com. So uh, both these panels really raised a lot of the issues we've talked about. Um, I've got a clip um, that I'll put on the on the show about um, the the panel ask uh, answered the question, um, what makes for a strong female character? And I really love Kelly Sue and Gail Simone's answer to this. Um, Uh, Kelly Sue said they need to have an interior life, not be a plot device for another character. And she goes on to say, if you can replace your female character with a sexy lamp, your plot and your plot still works. (laughs) That is fantastic. Then you're a hack. (laughs) And, and I love, I love that. Um, it kind of gets to what Gail Simone has talked about in the past about the whole, uh, women in refrigerators comment. Um, and she also, Kelly Sue also went on to basically kind of quote something you mentioned in that episode, <laughs> which is, um, I don't think the fact that we can see uh, a female character's boobs and butt cheeks at the same time, at the same time is ever pertinent to any story. <laughs> um, and I, uh, there's so many great quotes from this. Um, something I love that Gail Simone said is, um, uh, sometimes a strong female is She-Hulk punching a tank. Sometimes it's a woman crying. And, you know, that kind of, to me, that speaks to the range of female characters that we need to see. And there isn't no, there isn't a one answer no. to what's a strong female. And it's not, I, I guess, I, I, I like what she said about that. But I think that also goes for male characters as well, by the way. Yeah. That I think rather than seeing these very two-dimensional characters, we need to see people that have a lot more depth, characters that are human, um, but but definitely have multifaceted <laughs> personalities, not just, hi, I'm pretty, or hi, I'm strong, yeah. you know? Um, um, there, I I just think there has to be a lot more to that. And, you know, I I think especially with, with, there's just so much that we can do with storytelling in, in graphic novels and with these movies and in TV, television shows, there's so much opportunity there. Why go the boring route? 
Yeah. Why go these sort of with these flat character studies that really just nobody's interested in? Well, I I mean, I don't know how you did you you I'm assuming watch Dr. Horrible or did you? Yeah, I love Dr. Horrible sing along blog. Well, what so many people seem surprised by with the Dr. Dr. Horrible series was how wrapped up people got in it, even though they were doing, I mean, obviously there was some, some ton in cheek. There was a lot of ton in cheek and, and a lot of silliness going on, but you did care about what happened to those characters. You, you did it. They, they managed to jerk you around when something bad happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that was just a silly little mini series. And I think that the same goes for all of this. We could just do a lot better and a lot more, of these endeavors could be so much more interesting and thought provoking. And some of that played out in the panel. Uh, two of the other panelists on the strong women panel was, uh, were uh, male illustrators. Hmm. And they talked about how um, they actually um, enjoy drawing female characters better because um, men are so much idealized for just being strong and being stoic. Mm-hmm. And there's less uh, less physical range and parameters into how they can draw men in these comics. And, you know, there's pros and cons on both sides. And Kelly Sue talked about how women are idealized for their se- uh, sexual availability in these comics and men are more idealized for strength. But um, that that discussion about how men and women are depicted definitely played out on this panel. And I can tell you the room was packed, Conrad. People mm. people were – this was a big room um, for the Strong Women panel and it was packed and it was a diverse crowd. Men and women, it was ethnically diverse, age diverse. Um, it was really cool to see that. And then the same thing with the Multicultural Heroes panel. Um, I got to tell you, Tony Kim was a moderator for this, and he runs a great panel. It was really interactive. The panel was talking. He would pause. He would involve the audience. And they did a lot of cool stuff. Like um, they went through history and different decades and talked about the comics, the cartoons, the movies at that time. And they kind of like analyzed these different famous characters from Speedy Gonzalez to – uh, to the last airbender the movie <laughs> to um uh, to the kind of the resurgence of this black guy sidekick that we have now with with falcon um and it was uh it was really cool to see that discussion sort of play out um, um so it's these are topics that a lot of people are talking about now and it's getting a lot of attention. Um, and that makes me excited to see what we're going to see down the road. It makes me excited because it means that if these conversations are happening and they're getting louder and more and more people are sitting up and paying attention, then perhaps we, we will see a change, um, within the industry. And so I'm hoping that it basically creates a sea change that has been a long time coming. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I, I, I was very heartened to see, cause you were, you were sending me texts from this panel and it made me very happy to see that this is a conversation that continues to happen and continues to gain a, a lot of people be, cause the fact that the room was packed, that's awesome. Oh, it was totally full. And, you know, I should say, like, we could really go on and on about this. But for anyone who's who's new to the podcast, um, check out episode 10. We dive into this issue pretty deeply. deeply. And um, for those of you who want to know more about the panel updates, um, 
uh, I tweeted a lot <laughs> from yeah, the, you did. from the con. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I gotta tell you, I was pretty impressed with Gail Simone because I, I sent out a tweet where I was quoting her and she somehow while on the panel retweeted it. Um, <sighs> and I, I saw that notification on my phone. And I'm like, what? I'm looking at her right now. How the heck does she do that? So, uh, much minions, much Ollie, it's called uh, minions. Maybe perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I want to talk about another panel um, that kind of integrated a few of my favorite, uh, a few of my favorite things, and that was the only ma- a few of them. Well, you know, like okay, it, okay, a lot. Integrated <laughs> a lot of my. <laughs> I'm favorite. just teasing. Go ahead. Um, it was the making of the Star Wars. Now, have you heard of this um, of this graphic novel series by Dark Horse, the Star Wars? Yes. Okay, it's pretty cool. Um, cool. For those of you who might not be aware, um, the Star Wars is this is one of the final um, uh, Star Wars series of comics being put out by Dark Horse before the licensing returns to Marvel, since Marvel now is owned by by Disney and Disney owns Lucasfilm, and they're all vertically integrating the heck out of everything. But Basically, it's a graphic novel based on George Lucas's original script yes. for for Star Wars when it was called The Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And it's also based on the original concept art of the Star Wars, which is a very different story than yep. what we know about Star Wars and New Hope. Um, how much are you have you have you read this at all? I have not. Um, a few people have recommended to me. I have not yet done this, and I should. Um, it has actually been on my list, um, so I should. I should definitely. I have seen obviously excerpts and some of the artwork, and I do know some of what the story is. But it's yeah. really. I mean, if you are a Star Wars fan, do it. Oh, absolutely. And I, um, I, I read through half of an issue at. Uh, Midtown Comics, and I was about to buy all of them. I was actually in line to buy all of them, and then I was like, "No, I'm going to wait until the comp- the the collection comes out because I want this in hardcover." This is one of those things that I want I want to um, to have a long lasting copy of, kind of like well, my. You can buy it. You can read it online for now. I want it, but it it was so beautiful. No, it's I, beautiful. I, it is one of those ones. That it is. It is a book like that this collection is going to be beautiful because you know they're going to come out with something nice too oh yeah like i love my um collection my dark horse um version of uh the thrawn trilogy star wars thrawn trilogy adaptation it's beautiful and i, I have it in hardcover um hardback hardcover what which one is it hardcover hardcover okay this this tells you how much i buy print now um, I don't buy it as much. I buy digitally. Um, but basically, Mike Mayhew um, was there, and he is uh, the main illustrator behind this. Is um, he related to Peter Mayhew? Just out of curiosity. I have no idea. Um, that would be kind of cool if that were true, but he probably would have mentioned. I, I, I missed the first five minutes. <laughs> so I have no idea. But he's um, he's done a lot of work with Marvel before. He's done Avengers. And um, it was so cool to see and hear his process and how it played out. And that's one of the things that I really love about going to these cons is um, you hear how these artists 
and actors and directors, how they work and how they think and how a project went from inception to like me shelling out all my money for this. And, you know, now I'm thinking about shelling out money and it was actually kind of a lie. I did buy stuff at this con (laughs) that I'm thinking about. Oh, so now it comes out. Well, you know, I'm thinking about this and perhaps I bought, I bought what's different here is I bought a lot of little small things and I was like, oh, that's just $5 and that's just $3 and oh, that's just seven. It's so hard to, to rein it in though, because there's so many cool things but then you remember, especially if you, you fly into these things, you remember you have to carry it all home. Oh, well, Conrad, my I didn't mention this as well. I neglected to mention this. My luggage there fit in um, on the overhead kind of uh, container <laughs> thing. On the way back, they wouldn't let it on. They're like, there's too much stuff here. Did you did you purchase a lot of things? And I'm like, um, uh-huh. <laughs> I told them, oh, no, I just, I just didn't fold my clothes efficiently. Um, so... Base. Anyways, getting back to the Star Wars, um, Mike Mayhew, he was talking about how um, he was brought in to this project. And he's been like a Star Wars fan since the seventh since he was seven years old. He remembers going to see A New Hope um, and how much it changed his life. And this guy has read pretty much every historical document on Star Wars. Mm. And he taught he he had so many nuggets to talk about how um um is it Owen Lars who's um who's Luke's uncle? Um something like that. He talked about how this character in the Star Wars was an archaeologist and how he was um he ended up becoming the inspiration for George Lucas to develop Indiana Jones. Yep. Ta- he talked about how Han Solo was this lizard-like creature. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, uh, there's Anakin. Um, Anakin's a main character. He's not Vader, and Vader is someone else. And then um, there's a like General Star Killer, and there's all this stuff, and how different it is. And he and he, he had. I have a question for you. Yeah. Did Andrea attend this with you? She did not. Oh. No. This was a solo endeavor by um Was Ollie she Machu. jealous after she found out? You know what? We were so busy. Uh, we didn't even have much of a chance to talk about this one um, at all. But um, I will relay my comments to her and she will have a copy of the recording of this. Uh, this was also one that Nguyen did not have any interest in coming to. Mm. She came with me for the other half of the day. And then I was like, she asked me, where are you going next? And I'm like, the making of the Star Wars. And she's like, mm, OK, see you later. I'm going to go take a nap. Uh, <laughs> so this was a solo endeavor. But, you know, I mean, I learned so much. I also learned about how George Lucas, he originally wanted to reboot Flash Gordon, but he couldn't get the rights. So that's where the Star Wars came from. And then later Star Wars. And there's also cool ideas like um, he showed the original illustrations of the Death Star and how different it looked and how it was very chrome based and how chrome was a major part of this universe in all the illustrations and how um, chrome in the Star Wars was similar to Spice in Dune, which was a really interesting idea. Um, And that just kind of blew my mind for a little bit when I heard that. And um, it was also interesting to see how he works because he... He gets in. He looks at the original illustration. Looks at the original script. Um, it says most of this stuff is verbatim out of the original script, not changed too much. And um, he brings. He thinks about what 
what actor in this era in the 70s would be cast in this role? Then he brings in models that look like that actor. He takes um, photographs of them, builds 3D models, and then uses that to get the go-ahead and the blessings of Lucasfilm. And when they sign off on that look, that's when he starts illustrating based on the mock-up he's built. That is some kind of process. Oh yeah, and and he talked I'm about actually. Ha- I, admittedly, I'm very surprised that that Lucas signed off on these. He didn't originally want to, and that's something Mike mentioned. He's easily like, ah, I don't think there's really much here um, to to develop a story out of this. And it was actually over the course of a few years where where he um, won him over, <laughs> where he won him over. And where other Lucasfilm sort of historians went him over and they, they, um, they re- what I think sold Lucas on it was the idea that um, this could be a you could honor the origins of this franchise that so many people love and really do it with justice. I think that was the idea because it was such a um, half put together concept it wasn't you know we're talking about the concept art and the original draft of the movie this was nowhere near final and so there's a lot of filling in the blanks that mike had to do for example star destroyers are mentioned in the original script but there's no visual aesthetic for them so in in that situation what uh the illustrator did is he he he, he has Easter eggs all over the place for the whole trilogy in this um, graphic novel. And um, what he did with the Star Destroyers is he kind of took the, the look that we all are familiar with and reconceptualized it as a one-person fighter. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, there's some filling in the blanks, but whenever he fills in the blanks, he honors some other aspect of the Star Wars canon. Um, so that was just really cool to see that process and to hear about how in the past he used to do a lot of mock-up drawings, but now how computers and photography have influenced the kind of getting the go-ahead and then fleshing it out as an illustration. That was really cool to see. So we'll have this up on our website too in the, um, um, in the show notes, but that was a, that was so much fun to see that. Cool. Um, so let's talk about your panel. Oh, okay. You okay. not we'll want talk- to talk about it? No, I got one out of the panel to talk about, but we can come back to that. Wait, yeah. no, no, go ahead. Okay. Before we get to my panel, um, I did, I, I, so I asked you Anne, and I was like, what, what is the one thing you'd like to see at the con? Um, well, I mean, I asked her, what does she want to see? And she's like, nah, there's not much. And I said, okay, there's got to be at least one thing you want to see. And we kind of went through the schedule together. And she um, she saw the description for the 20th Century Fox panel. And she saw that um, at that panel, they were going to have um, a Dawn of the Planet of the Apes uh, thing. And she knew, uh, she found out that Carrie Russell is going to be there. She's she man's a big fan of Felicity. Um, but she, not, was Chris behind there as well? Because that would have been excellent. Chris, no, that would be, we would have both geeked out on that one. <laughs> there would have been a joined couple nerdgasm if you both saw Chris Pine. Um but Carrie Russell was going to be there. Gary Oldman was going to be there. Um, and then um, Andy Serkis. And nice. Nuyad <laughs> is a huge fan of the Lord of the Rings movies. She loved these movies so much more than I do. I mean, I like them, but Nuyad loves them. And she loves Gollum. And she loves Andy Serkis's performance. So she's like, we have to get to this panel. 
So um, we got there. It was in their big arena. And unlike San Diego Comic-Con, pretty much anyone who wanted to could get in to see this, um, which was really cool. And they showed um, they showed a, uh, a, an extended trailer that um, no one's seen yet. And then they showed a scene from Planet uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And the director was there as well. So it was really cool to hear about how this film is positioned in relation to all the other Planet of the Apes films. And the director, Matt Reeves, he was talking about how we know where the series is headed. It's headed to the Planet of the Apes. And now we know how it got started. Um, Rise of the Planet of the Apes really got into that. This film is about that critical moment when these two species could have got along. It's about that moment where both humanity and the apes are kind of at an even place where, you know, human humanity has really been devastated by this virus and the apes are kind of figuring out how to survive as a species. And it's about there's no villain in this story. It's really about just these two species and what happens and the critical role of Caesar played by Andy Serkis, how he's the leader of the apes, but how his tenants are all based on his human beliefs and everything right. we saw in the first movie. And just hearing about the cast, hearing from the cast, hearing from the director, and then seeing this scene that really scared the crap out of me, um, it was re- it got me even more excited for this film. <laughs> and I know that's what they want and all of that, but it really just got me feeling like they, um, they're trying to do this right. And I caught the end of the Godzilla panel. And that was my feeling there too, that those people are really trying to honor the canon here. Well, and- I have to say the planet of the, the planet of the apes, the dawn of the planet of the apes is, is one of the films that I am really looking forward to seeing this summer. Yep. And yep. I maybe we could even go see it together, Ollie. Who I would knows? love that. I would love that. You know, maybe we could see it together and we might do like a real time podcast right after. I don't know. We haven't done that before. We usually have our we go see it. We think about it and then we talk about it. Well, that uh, depends. Are we going to go to like opening night? Because in that case, that would be a pretty late podcast. Recording. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that, I think that might be pretty entertaining for our listeners. We it might, might get, be. But yeah, Conrad does might. not function. <laughs> on lack of sleep, as you well know. Oh, we we know this, and and Ali does not function well early morning. Um, so that was I really enjoyed that. Um, uh, I'll tell you the moment. This is the first time I've ever seen Nuan Nerdgasm. Um, basically, at the end of that panel, there was a question and answer session, and a bunch of people asked questions. And one of the funny things was this guy dressed as Joker got up and asked a question, and he went. Good evening, Commissioner. Looking to Gary at, Oldman? To Gary Oldman, which, which was really funny. Um, uh, there's, I know, only at a con, right? <laughs> um, and he, had, he actually had a pretty good question to ask. But my favorite, my favorite was at the very end when um, they're like, okay, time for one more question. This guy gets up and he's like, uh, Mr. Andy Circus, could you... Call me um, a dirty fat hobbit. What? Yeah. And the guy, uh, well, not the guy, Andy Circus goes, what? You want me to call you um, a fat hobbit? And the guy went, uh, yes, please. He's like, what? In front of all these people? Okay, fine. You're a filthy fat hobbit. 
And then everyone started laughing. And then um, in the middle of all that laughter, he went full Gollum. hardcore Gollum on him. <laughs> and he's like, fat hobbitses. Uh, and it was amazing. It, a new Anne like leaped out of her chair um, having a, um, a, a giant uh, nerdgasm. It was, uh, it was a pretty cool moment. Um, you know, I got to say on a more serious note, the next movie that they were going to screen, the next movie they were going to talk about was the 20th century, um, from the 20th century Fox panel was um, X-Men Days of Future Past. And um, who was scheduled (laughs) to be there was Brian Singer, uh, the director. Um, Brian Singer was not there. Um, Simon Kinberg was there, the writer. Did they just add, so so what we're talking about right now is uh, Brian Singer was, was, his appearance was canceled um, or he canceled it or his people canceled it. Um, it not totally clear because of the allegations that came out um, basically claiming that he had sexually abused a teenager um, in, I think late nineties, like, like 98 or 99, 2000, I think was the, yeah. the timeline. And yeah. in any case, they, they basically canceled his appearances and obviously they need to, to talk about what is going on with that. Um, but in addition to that, they had no Q and a, um, for X-Men days. of Future. Well, you know what? I get what they're doing. Um, and I know that it's a very complicated issue and you and I were chatting a bit before the show and I've been chatting with a lot of people. Um, as you know, I've, I've been a big fan of Brian Singer and I'm a fan of his, his works. And I think, we talked about Brian Singer on a previous episode, how you got to see X-Men and um, uh, when it was released and he was in the audience. Yeah, he was standing on, he was talking to people and whatever. And, you know, uh, this is the thing I, I have, it, it's one of, when, when allegations of this nature come out, I have, I have many different feelings. I certainly have, you know, it makes me very sad overall just because if if somebody is coming out with these allegations, it's a big deal. If somebody has been abused to be able to do this and, and it's very hard to see them be lambasted in the, by, by the press and by everybody else. But on the other hand, if somebody is being accused for publicity purposes, that's terrible too. So it's one of those things where I think we're going to have to bide our time and wait and see and have, you know, try not to jump to conclusions until this goes to court. Cause I do think that that's what is going to happen here probably. Um, yeah, I, I but agree. It's when it, but we, we're going to, obviously we can't go into this too much. We're going to have to talk about it. And I think we should talk about it. Um, I think there's been many instances where this, this sort of thing comes up and, but number one, I am never a person that is going to attack a victim of sexual abuse um, or an alleged victim of sexual abuse. Cause I think that that is just something that is so painful to, to have to come out in public. And especially if it takes people, incredible courage, it does. And, um, and I also understand that sometimes people do come out with these allegations and they're not true, but generally I feel like if somebody takes a step to do that, I have to, to basically Leave it, leave it to the courts to decide, but also not attack anybody, basically. Yeah, I... I you know what I'm saying. It's just I, such I a terrible issue, and, and, you know... I couldn't agree with you more, Conrad, and... Um, 
And you hear about, I mean, especially in Hollywood, you hear about these things. There's definitely been a lot of instances um, with other very, very famous people um, where where this has happened more recently. There was a lot of controversy, once again, about Woody Allen and the allegations yeah. against him. And then previously, Roman Polanski um, had, I mean, those aren't even allegations. He fled the country was, and, yeah. and confessed. So um, I just think it's one of those issues. And I think we can definitely have a very good discussion in an episode about this at some point. I agree. I think we should save that discussion for another day. Um, and, you know, it's uh, I have it, it's so complicated um, separate trying to separate um, art from um, the artist. And um, and there, there's so much we could talk about here. And let's let's save it for that episode. Um, but it was, I will say it's, um, it's been, it's unfortunate all over it and is. it's, it's unfortunate for, um, any victims of, um, of abuse. It's, it's horrible, um, for anyone who has experienced these things. Um, it takes incredible courage to talk about them and, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate day for for everyone. Um, so there was a cloud um, over, over the uh, over the X Men panel. I will say they they showed pretty much the the intro to the movie, um, the first uh, five or ten minutes or so. And I will say, there were some spoilers there, which I will not mention. But I will say um, it looks intense, intense, and I am um, I am excited at least to see the film. Um, I do. And I also, but I also do want to say, you know, the, the court of public opinion is not a court. And so yeah. overall, I think we need to let this run its course and, and all that. And uh, I mean, I, I hope, I hope that, that this isn't true in some level, but I also, I also want to hope that if the if these allegations are true, that this person gets his day in court. So absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, well, we'll we'll talk more about that later. As you can yep. tell, I'm really. <laughs> it's been a it's been a tough thing to to think about. Um, but well, there's there's a lot more panels we could talk about, but um, check out our show notes for the full listing of stuff that I loved. I'll I'll post um, a bunch of the audio of um, of the the panels I I did attend. Um, but then there was my panel, and um, that was on uh, Saturday night, and we had an awesome lead in to our panel. Um, our panel was at 7:30, and at 6:30 there was a panel called Science and Science Fiction, which had these super awesome nerdy engineers um uh who were also like excellent just communicators and they're super fun so um a big part of that crowd um and that audience stayed on for our panel so i felt like it was an awesome like two hit combo um because our panel uh was all about the psychology of star trek versus star wars and it was episode three of our panel um it's not all of Star Trek versus Star Wars episode three, but it's it's Star Trek versus Star Wars in the third edition of this series. OK, so on the panel, we had um, my geek fellow geeky psychologist, um, Dr. Andrea Letamenti from Under the Mask Online dot com. Um, and she's a geeky psychologist who's really into Star Wars. And um, on her side was also Catherine Tabor. 
who's uh, the actress behind Padme on Star Wars The Clone Wars. And then on my side, we also had Chase Masterson, who played Lita on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which I was very excited about. I bet and you were. <laughs> I w- you know, well, it's not a secret that Star Trek Deep Space Nine is my favorite series. I know. So I was pretty excited about um, Chase Masterson joining us. And um, we were mo- our moderator, again, was Brian Ward, who um, uh, is on the podcast, The Arkham Sessions, where they psychoanalyze uh, Batman. So, you know, um, I'll have a full write-up about this panel on my website uh, later this week. Um, but what we wanted to do on this panel was really talk about um, psychology of love, friendships, and relationships. And when we did this panel at San Diego Comic-Con, all the questions were about family and about friendship and about these different relationships between the characters. And so we kind of built a whole panel around that. And what was also cool is both um, Kat and Chase um, have done a lot of work on anti-bullying efforts. And um, uh, we ended up talking about bullying as well and how to fight um, the scourge of bullying that's going around in the country. So um, the full panel um, will be up later this week and we'll put it in the show notes when it's up. But that was um, it was just so much fun. So much fun to be able to do that. Um, and uh, Chase Masterson even gave me an umok on the stage. And I won't, ex- for those of you who don't know what an umok is, it is a, a Ferengi love ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I won't explain how that happened. You'll have to watch the video once it's up, but we'll have that up later in the week. So um, yeah, it was really cool. Excellent. And I also, I, I saw that you met somebody that really meant a lot to you in terms of uh, on a personal level oh yeah yeah i almost forgot um so much happened at wondercon um yeah so uh candace mcclure who is um the actress who played d duala on battlestar galactica she was at wondercon and i had the chance to um meet her and um without giving away spoilers for those of you who've seen Battlestar Galactica know the destiny of this character and what happens to her and the things that she goes through um, on the show and those had a lot of personal meaning to me and um, as I was seeing that show um, it hit me really hard and it really um, really helped me deal with some tough issues that I'm sure we're going to talk about in a future episode. And I had the chance to meet her in person and share my story with her. And, um, it was, it was, it was really meaningful to me because, um, so rarely do we get to share our gratitude, um, with the people who make art that really impacts our life. And to be able to do that in person, um, was was really amazing and she said um her response to that was you know the it's for these moments that i do everything i do um and you know it's that's one of the reasons why i love comic-con so much is you have an opportunity to connect with other people in a way that you just can't elsewhere it's not just about the stuff um it's not just about the sneak peeks um it comes down to people and uh, this experience was just um, just kind of 
a great example of that. And it's one of those memories that I'm going to cherish for a long time. And, uh, and I got a cool picture too with her. Of course you did. <laughs> so I'm psyched you got to meet her though. It seemed like that was a very special interaction. And that's, I mean, uh, what I really like when you meet people that mean that much to you is not only that you get to meet them, but that they live up to your, your hopes and expectations. Yeah. And, and especially when they turn out to be so incredibly nice and thoughtful, it's, it's really just wonderful. Yeah, no, it was really cool. It was really cool. Um, but I have a question for you. Yes, Conrad? Are you ready to head into the infinite crossover chamber? Let's venture into the infinite crossover chamber. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And we just crossed over. Wait, I want to hear your sound effect. That was kind of cool. Mine was... (laughs) It was kind of like slow... It was like slow-mo fire. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, what so, are we discussing today? So today we're discussing, it'd probably be a quick crossover. This today. is a minuscule crossover chamber yeah. and probably a minuscule top five simply because yeah, yeah, we wanted yeah. to hear all about what Ollie did at WonderCon. So yeah, go for so, it, mister. So we're talking about WonderCon versus San Diego Comic-Con. Um, what's the better fan gathering? I have an aside just to say here. Uh, I was out um, in Seattle um, a couple weeks ago and I had the very good fortune of meeting Greg Bear. I saw the photo. Um, and you know that Greg Bear was one of the founders of San Diego Comic-Con. Yep, yep. Many, so, many moons ago. Admittedly, I was geeking out a little bit. I did not overdo <laughs> it. Bill was very impressed with how much I reined it in. Um, <laughs> although, I mean, we we had some super geeky com- conversations. He has a sci-fi book collection that... Oh, honestly, so cool. And it's from when he was a kid, too. So it's... It's actually a lot like being in Singularity and Co. <laughs> <laughs> Which was so, awesome. I haven't yet shared this with CC James, but she should know Greg Bear, it's competition, her competition on the other coast. Um, but in any case, just did wanted he, to say that before did we he have talk any, about this. Did he have any stories to share about San Diego? Comic-Con? No, I mean, he was just talking about how, you know, he and a bunch of friends who happened to be... Um, super famous science science fiction writers. Um, basically, he grew he grew up in C- in San Diego, um, and you know he it wasn't obviously when they when they first put this together it was definitely not what Comic Con eventually became. Yeah. Um, this was really just basically a gathering. Um, you know of people to to you know, who really loved comic books and you got together, you wanted to trade them, you wanted to talk about them and things like that. But from that little uh, comic book meetup, if you will, that became that became Comic-Con. Love it. Love it. And well, getting to WonderCon versus San Diego Comic-Con, they both sort of started out small like this. Um you know, they both kind of were, I think WonderCon started in the, in the late eighties. And I think San Diego started before that. Um, but they were both, they both started small. They both were in California. WonderCon was in the San Francisco Bay area, San Diego Comic-Con always in San Diego, but they started out at these small collection mm-hmm. of content creators and people who loved comics coming together. And it's really, I think 
I think San Diego started to take off in the early 2000s. And no, I think it was before that. Before that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, when it started to get a lot of popular press attention is really when Hollywood started coming in. And we saw that with, I think with X-Men was one of the first movies to be at San Diego Comic-Con. And that was back in the days when anyone could buy a ticket the day of. And you could stroll into, you know, the so-called Hall H and Ballroom 20, these big, massive rooms where everything is revealed. You could stroll into them the day of. Can't do that anymore. Um, you need tickets and things like that. It's become huge. It's huge. And, and all the hotels sell out. It's And it's also it, actually... In minutes, minutes, Conrad, the hotels sell out. It's expensive. Yeah, it is. It's, it's expensive and um, you need a... It's... It's not, San Diego Comic Con, at least, is not as inclusive as it used to be. It's not as easy as it used to be. Um, and there, you c- contrast that with WonderCon, which was a uh, independent um, uh, Comic Con, but uh, Comic Con International, which runs San Diego Comic Con, bought them in two thousand and one, and it was um, start, started to get beefed up a little bit, and we had a lot of big. Hollywood presence there in the uh, late 2000s. There was one year where they had a big giant Tron event there. There was a big Star Trek 2009 reveal there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was moved from San Francisco to um, to Anaheim in, um, I believe, 2012. But WonderCon is a very different animal. It's small. It has, you know, a fraction of the number of panels that San Diego has. Um, you can still buy tickets to some of the day's events, like the week of the con. Um, it's a lot cheaper. Um, the hotels are cheaper. The hotels don't sell out like they do in San Diego. Um, there's also less big stuff that happens, though. There's less big reveals. Um, news from Comic-Con doesn't really ripple around the world. Like, the biggest news we have from Comic-Con is they're making a Farscape movie, and um, someone announced... Um, you mean from- Magicon or Comic-Con? Uh, WonderCon. WonderCon doesn't have like a a lot of huge news. And the other big news that came out of it was the way they're treating the new Star Wars movies is only the movies are canon. So they're not really pulling in from the expanded universe. But that's the big news. Like there aren't huge ripples here. Yeah. Um, And I mean, I do think that a lot of there's a lot of shows that are shopped around, not shopped around, but announced and and. You know, they're trying to to get attention for and and movie clips and all that stuff at Comic-Con now. It's actually used as a launch pad for a lot of these as as an introduction. And you want to make a big splash and and they make it a big deal, like a huge event to be able to go and see these things. Um, Oh, absolutely. You know, so and I was just reading a stat that the first Comic-Con had 300 people attend. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Which, if you, in contrast, <laughs> that, in, in contrast, um, just I mean, it's, some of the smallest panels, right, have way more than three hundred people now, right? Um, and just this past year, there were over, there were over a thousand total panels that were held during the convention. Oh my gosh. Um, yep. And then over a thousand vendors participate in the in in the convention just yeah. this past year. Yeah. Um, and you know the largest room for a panel holds six thousand seats. Yeah, Hall H. 
the yeah. magic holiday. And people camp out the night before now just for the opportunity to get into Hall H. And, um, you know, so it's, you know, I think, Conrad, the question comes down to when we're talking about what's a better fan gathering, there's a lot more stuff that happens at San Diego. There's more news that happens there. There's ripples of that news around the world on the internet. It's it's an event even for people who Wait, aren't attending. Do you want to know the f- total number last year? For attendees? Yep. Let me guess. Um, oh, they don't have the number for last year, but they do have it for 2012. 100,000? Uh, 2012, it was 130,000. They don't have the number for 2013. It's a lot of people. But that's, I mean, <laughs> from 300 to that, oh my God. Like, it's amazing, it's incredible. right? It's, it's really incredible. And I think that speaks to how major of an event it is. And one of the cool things about San Diego Comic-Con, San Diego gets taken over by geeks that <laughs> weekend. And San Diego kind of embraces it. Um, that's it, it, That was one of the most interesting things for me attending there that you don't really see in the coverage is everyone's out, everyone's cosplaying, all the stores, the restaurants, the bars, they're all embracing it. That's really cool to see. Not so much at WonderCon. I mean, WonderCon was at Anaheim and it's still kind of like Disney centric. And even when it was in San Francisco, people said, yeah, it didn't really feel like people were cosplaying because everyone in San Francisco dresses up kind of weird anyways. Mm. So, you know, WonderCon doesn't have that impact, but I think WonderCon is so much more easier. It's more accessible. What people say about WonderCon is it it feels more like what San Diego did like a decade and a half ago. Well, this is the thing, though. I think that these are two very, very different events. And I, I totally hear what you're saying about WonderCon. But I also think that there is something pretty fabulous about the fact that San Diego does get overtaken by nerds for like the whole weekend and that there's this huge event and that there's all these things that people get to do. It's pretty widespread depending on, you know, your level of interest. There's so many different things that you can do and attend and you get to full on hang out with super geeky people. And the fact, and you know, I also think that generally people at cons are pretty positive overall. Granted, I mean, you can't control every single person, but overall, how amazing is it that they have over a hundred thousand people hanging out, going to do geeky things together. So, From all around the world. Yeah. And, you know, the, the other thing about San Diego that we should mention too is there are things you can do for free. There's this um, Nerd HQ, which is put on by the Nerd Machine, which is Zachary Levi's group um, from uh, his show was called uh, The Show Conrad, we've talked about, um, where he's kind of this geeky super... Uh, oh, Chuck. Chuck, yeah. Um, so... Nerd HQ is put together all for uh, it's it's a f- a free thing. You don't have to pay admission. And last year they had um, Joss Whedon spoke there. They had a whole stadium full of uh, Serenity screening the the Firefly film. So there's free stuff too, and you can just show up at downtown and enjoy the cosplay and enjoy just seeing all these geeky people from around the world. Um, <sighs> I think that I really like both gatherings. I do. I I do hear what you're saying. I, I think WonderCon is a bit more intimate, a bit more, I, especially for somebody who isn't used to this kind of a gathering. 
Yeah, it's, it's good for it's, it's good for your first timer. Right. Um, but I also I do love I love that Comic-Con has gone as insane as it has. It just makes yeah. me really happy. It's like the Super Bowl of of nerds. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to well, call it a tie, honestly. Well, I'm going to say if you're going in person, WonderCon is the better experience. It's not as intense. Um, but if you're if you're not able to go in person, um, or if you're anyone else, you can still appreciate San Diego Comic Con without even attending it. Whether you're in the city or you're sitting at home and looking at your laptop, it's still a geeky event that um, is a major world affair. Um, All right, so, so, so you're calling it WonderCon, and I'm calling it a tie. What? No, I'm not calling it WonderCon. I don't know what I'm calling it. I'm going to call it a tie as well. No, I'm going to call it San Diego Comic Con. Yes. Wow. You just you just went totally around in a little circle and just beat yourself up at the end of it. Well, if I had to pick one to go to, I think that's what it comes down to, right? Okay. If I had to pick one, I'm going San Diego Comic. Of course you are. That's yeah. the only choice. Yeah, it's the only choice. Um but um I think that, that that's it. We have to to get out of here because we have to do our top five. Let's do our top five. Let's, Let's exit. exit quickly. The infinite crossover chamber. Pew pew. <laughs> That's you and me exiting out of a escape pod. Excellent. Uh, so top five. Top five is related to what we were just discussing in the crossover chamber. And basically, we are going to talk about our top five gathering places for nerds or geeks, right? Yep. Yep. And we're not including comic cons in that list. And I excluded all conventions. Um, mm, I didn't, but it's okay. Okay. I mean, otherwise, like Star Trek, I kind of thought Star Trek conventions kind of in the same vein as well as Star Wars Celebration. And all well, there's that. one specific one I want to include, but we can go. Into okay, that. cool. So well, let's get to let's it. Let's go to number five. Um, my number five are nerdy trivia nights. And these don't just happen at bars where they're often associated with, um, but they also happen at bookstores. Um, Housing Works here in New York City just did a nerdy, a nerd week a while back. And they also happen at coffee shops sometimes. And the reason it's my number five is you get a lot of people who are really nerdy about whatever that trivia is, whether it's um, science fiction or if it's some type of cult TV show. And um, it's a pretty casual environment, so um, it's it's not too hard to meet other cool nerds at those events. My number five are the board game meetups, and there's been a lot of those sprouting up late recently. In New York, there's a whole gathering. You know, they have this whole online presence, and you can go and meet up with different people and play board games with them. It's a huge thing. Um, and actually, when I was out, and I've seen, there's actually a place up the street that does this like you can go in and play board games with random people and and people friends meet up there and they can do um role playing games as well as just regular board games and and things like that um so i think that that's had a resurgence and it's kind of cool that there are actual places for people to do that but even if you don't have that there's an online presence where you can figure out places to go and do this what i like um, about that one is board games are a cool way to meet new people because you don't necessarily need to know the people you're competing with, but you get to know each other through the process of playing the game. Right. And they meet yeah. up in cra- not crazy places, but just 
totally random places to do this. So it's not, you know, like the, Singularity and Co. Well, Singularity and Co, but also there it looked like there was some some gatherings in in Central Park and things like that. So Oh, cool. <laughs> so they have a lot of places where where they meet up to do this, which I think is pretty cool and a, definitely a good way to meet people and and geek out. Love it. Love it. Um my number 4 is um it's not necessarily a place as much as it is an event. Um, it's a midnight release. And what oh, I mean... I had this on my list, too. Oh, okay. That's well, you cool. mean like midnight movie releases or, well, or books, be. maybe? Yes, yes. So um, what I was thinking about was when <laughs> the release date for something, um, and specifically, I was remember waiting, remembering waiting in line for Harry Potter. Harry Potter, yes, yes. Um, but Which, also, but also, I have seen um, you, when Star Wars came out, um, when they when they re-released the you know Star Wars for a New Hope in the theaters and things like that. I went to the midnight release for that, um, yep. and it was just such a fun event. People were so excited, and it was just this really, it was just a very positive and enthusiastic gathering of fans, and that was fun. So I, I'm right there with you. Um, whether it's a movie release or a book release, you know, I have fond memories of of going to the um, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows release at Politics and Prose. Or, or a game release, even. Or a video that. game release. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so there's it's, some... it, it's so much fun to stand in line. Yeah, which sounds with, silly, but it's true. Which sounds so stupid. And people, you know, and everyone walking by makes fun and doesn't get it. Um, but the, it's not about being the first one as much as it, as it is um, being there with other people who love it immensely and being able to share in your passion um, of that thing. And, and then, uh, you know, some of it is also playing it or reading it uh, or seeing it as soon as possible. Well, because um, you also don't want the spoilers. You don't so. want the spo- You don't want anyone ruining it for you. Absolutely. Which, you know, uh, you've seen I've seen a lot of places also doing um you know, especially with shows like Game of Thrones and things like that. There are different different places, especially in New York, that people gather together to watch these at different bars and things like that. Oh, totally. So, and obviously at people's houses, but it's, you know, it's an event to be able to see these things first and then to talk about it immediately afterwards. <laughs> so so what, what number was it for you? That was number four for me. Oh, so we had a mind melt. Oh, yeah, we, I guess we did. There Nicely done, Conrad. Um, number three for me. Yeah, do it. Um, this is, you know, it, unfortunately, I just because of of just the the events that life takes and things like that, I don't get to go there as often. But this was definitely something that was always very exciting, especially since I didn't have a lot of them near me. But um, going to comic book stores um, <laughs> was That's my number two. It was just something that, um, and still, it's still like I. When I when I go to different places, um, you know, uh, especially um, Austin has a great comic book store, and like, and obviously New York, we have many great comic book stores, but um, it's something I still really enjoy doing. Yep. Um, and I love going into them. It gives uh, and going looking looking through all the new books and talking to the staff, and it's just still a lot of fun. And there's a lot of like minded people there. Uh, that was my number two. 
And I love I love going to comic book stores. And um, I, I think you're right. Talking to staff is so awesome at a comic well, book store because they know everything they new know that's everything. coming out. And they also everything. even if you if you share some of your favorite graphic novels and things like that, they're like, oh, but have you heard of this one? And it just yeah. it gives some great recommendations. And I do read a lot of comic books online, um, but it doesn't it definitely doesn't take the place of that particular and, experience. And they're not just about comic books. No. They also have lots of cool toys and action figures, and they they dive into other genres. Um, yeah, uh, Red Planet Comics in San Jose, California, and Northern Comics in Campbell, California. Those are two of my big gateway drugs into this realm of nerdery when I was growing up. They're both gone now, unfortunately. Mm. But the big part of it for me was talking to um, talking to the people that work there. It was so cool. Um, so yeah, good pick. That was my number two, and that's your number three. What is your number three? All right. My number three does not exist anymore, um, but it did exist mm-hmm. in um, an era uh, gone uh, away. Well, it doesn't exist in America anymore. Um, my number three are 1990s video game arcades. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I grew up near an arcade called Galactican, which was so much fun to go to. And um, the reason why I love it is because it was about um, sharing in a love of a game, sh- uh, developing skills together, the the camaraderie of, of doing some of those games together, but then also the kind of honor in um, battling against someone else. And, uh, you know, I kind of grew up playing a lot of Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. And there was, um, you know, putting your quota up on the arcade and kind of saving your spot in line and then playing the victor. And this kind of like um, this test of wills and strength and all of that. And um, it was just such a cool process. And you end up making friends through playing these games together because the same people kept playing the same games and you see them on the same days. Um, I really miss that. And um, there's, there's been a, a somewhat of a return of arcades through online play and to be able to kind of pair up with people, but it's not necessarily the same. You don't have that in-person connection that you used to. So I really miss that era a lot. And that's why I think it's an era that's gone, but an era that I still, uh, I still love. Um, my, my number two, I was joking with you. I was going to say that it was a science fiction bookstore, i.e. Singularity and Co. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'll just give a shout out to, to CC James and leave it at that. And for those of you new to the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, uh, check out our, one of our previous episodes where we visit Singularity and Co. And interview uh, CC James. Yeah, one of the co-founders. Um, but um, my number two, in, in truth, it was the convention I was mentioning to you, um, also related to gaming, actually. Um, it was PAX and PAX oh, East. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I attended PAX. East with uh, my friends Moira and Darren. Bill came with me. And, you know, we had never really, we had never attended this before. They happened to be in Boston, and that was the first year I think that it was held there. Um, and it was just this really incredible thing. People were, were you know, showing and, and de- showing demos of new games. People were, you know, there were, there were obviously the booth babes. There were some people in cosplay. Um, I, we saw a pretty excellent Bayonetta there. Um, <laughs> but one of our favorite things about this was this little room um, and our friend Moira knew all about it. And basically people all brought their old video, not old video games, but vintage video games and all the and there were all the gaming systems that you could play them on. 
So oh, pretty much so cool. anything that you want to do, you could go and ask them for the game and they had the console and you could just go and play it. And it was so much fun. And pe- and the fact that people just brought them in, basically checked in their games so that other people could enjoy them, I thought was pretty awesome. And there was like a ton of people in that room of all ages. And we had so much, that was probably my favorite part of it. And it was just yeah. this really great gathering and people would be getting exciting, watch, getting excited watching everybody else play these games. So it was, it was a very cool thing. And it was one of the things that I really liked about that particular con. Good pick. Um, I saw my friend Jose Cardona from the uh, Geek Therapy podcast this weekend at WonderCon, and he had just been at PAX East the week before. And one of the things that he was telling me is there's a lot of great mental health stuff now at PAX about the positive ways in which video games are are impacting us. You know, there's been a lot of a lot of people like to point figures at video games for for various social problems and. And um, it's pretty cool to see PAX embracing um, uh, the research that is showing how helpful and how cool they can be. And they also apparently had like um, mental health clinicians on call and available for anyone that was experiencing problems or difficulties at the um, the at the convention, which is cool. I've never seen that at any other convention. So they're definitely yeah, they're definitely doing some some cool things. Um, all right. That's number your number two. My number two was comic book stores. We already talked about that. Um, it's time for number one. So number one was a tough one for me. And I thought about this actually quite a bit. Um, and it was interesting what you just said about when you were talking about the arcades, how the in-person connection, you know, was is there with that. And then I was also talking about that in terms of the comic book stores. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, um, (laughs) one of the things that I think has been so great about social media um, and, you know, I guess, you know, what I am specifically thinking about is that um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer used to have this posting board called the Bronze. And it was a form of of insane Buffy the Vampire Slayer fans. Um, <laughs> I may or may not have been a member for a bit. Um, my sis, <laughs> my sister was quite involved with it. But um, the thing is, is that um, it the it basically was this gathering of people from from all around the world. Um, and you know, my sister still and and I have friends from it as well. And it's. You know, it, basically, it's this ability to connect with people who have your same interests, even though they might be a world away. Yep. And I think especially if you grow up in a rural town or you feel like your your interests may not match everybody else's, <laughs> I think that social media is amazingly helpful. It can be hurtful, too, and we've seen a lot of bullying and things like that. But I, I definitely know a lot more zombie fans than not <laughs> because of social media. Um, and it's, it's, so your, your number one is social media. Yeah. You know, what's funny, Conrad, but I think this is the first time we might have two mind melds, um, no. in the same episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My number one is not social media. <laughs> it's a little bit broader than that. Um, my number one is, it's a bit of a cheat. Uh, my number one is the internet. <laughs> 
Ollie. But here, here's, hold on, But hold you on. know what? I kind of did that too because I was talking about various different things. Exactly. So calling exactly. it social media is a little bit cheaty too. So let's, was, let's call spade a spade. Yeah, it's we're talking about the internet here. Because for me, it was a, a very similar to what you were talking about. News groups, specifically for me, it was alt television dot uh, Star Trek. And then... Um, um, internet relay chat, IRC, all these different forums that were on websites like trekweb.com. Um, these were a big part of how I was able to connect with other Trekkies when I was um, very anxious about being a openly geeky person. Um, and it was so cool. And now with social media and Twitter and Facebook and all of these awesome things that do have pros and cons, you're able to draw directly connect with a wide variety of people who are fans, who are sometimes content creators, who are sometimes celebrities and actors and all of that kind of stuff. Um, you, you can instantly communicate with anyone around the world who has your same passion. And that is it's pretty it, amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing change that you and I have both seen in our lifetime. Like we we both very clearly remember what the world was like before the internet, and uh, you could not do this. You would have yeah. to. And you ha- and you know, I, I you see a lot in the media about all the negative things, and I wish that there would be a lot more focus on the positive. Yeah, because I do think that these forums and and the ability to connect with people that have your same interests and let's I mean, let's face it, some of them are pretty random interests um, or obscure interests and you can find it on there, which is awesome. Um, And, you know, I I do remember going to a con many, many years ago. I, I don't want to admit how long ago and and there were um, and I think we talked about this briefly, the Star Wars holiday special. The, the fact that you <laughs> yeah, couldn't, you yeah, couldn't yeah. find it anywhere. And I found like a very terrible, like a terrible videotaped copy of VHS copy, which is VHS copy, which is what everybody used to do. Um, and, you know, spread, spread the truth of the Star Wars holiday special. Well, um, and, and now you can now you can go on YouTube and find it online and see all these crazy people commenting and and people analyze it. And you know what I mean? Like it's it's a very it's it's. It's a lot of fun, um, and it definitely I, it lets you know that you have some some people out there that could be friends with you, and and you know I think that that is a, a beautiful thing, honestly. Absolutely, and it's it's a power for good. Uh, this is something we talked about on our psychology panel um, at WonderCon. Is you know our, our two panelists, Cat uh, and uh, Chase, were very much involved in this. Um, some of you might know the stories, the story of quote unquote the Star Wars girl, um, uh, Katie Goldman, who was bullied for bringing mm-hmm. like a Star Wars water bottle to school. Well, Cat. Um, brought attention to the story um, by sharing her blog on Twitter and across the internet that helped it go viral. Um, that helped a lot of people reach out and support Carrie Goldman. And then um, Chase Masterson um, paired up with uh, Katie's mom and has started this um, anti-bullying coalition, which made its big premiere at New York Comic Con um, last year. So w- we definitely can see a lot of stories of how the internet has not only helped connect people, but helped fight a lot of the intolerance and a lot of the bullying that it gets blamed for. Um, so absolutely, um, it's, it's the clear number one. It's the biggest game changer, I think, that's happened with um, with information 
and social interaction in our lifetimes. Right. So, so that is it. I did not do honorable mentions. I, I, I reined myself in because I knew that this would be a long episode. <laughs> so, so I've got I, two. What They're are fast. they? One, Ren Fairs, because I've never been, it was honorable mention, but okay. it's a unique kind of experience. Number two, um, it's a little bit of a cheat. It's anywhere you're wearing your geeky t-shirt. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, hold on. That's not even an honorable mention, Ali. I don't even know what that is. Here's what it is. Once you wear some t- form of public geekery, it makes it easier for other people to and makes it more to approach you. Okay. And you start a gathering. You know, you can meet new people just by kind of wearing your little piece of geekery. All right. Uh, I'm not going to actually give it to you, but but I'll give it to you. <laughs> I appreciate you indulging me, Conrad. Well, thank you so much for telling us all about WonderCon. I'm sad I didn't get to go with you, but I'm really excited that you had a good time. I'm psyched that New Anne had a good time. Well, and and, and I I haven't heard all the clips, but I can't wait to hear them all once you get them all up on, on our site. Absolutely. Thanks. Um, thank you, listeners, for putting up with our a little late episode. We hope you enjoyed the special edition. Definitely check out the show notes. And I also and, have and to- by the way, where can people find those? Oh, that'll be on www.superfantasticnerdhour.com. We'll also share the link on Twitter. Um, we're at Nerd Hour on Twitter. I also have to thank we had um, a couple of our listeners. Um, really? Yes. Awesome. Yes. We, um, a couple of our listeners were able to chat at WonderCon a little bit. And one person on Twitter, we just missed each other. Um, she was only there on Friday and we weren't able to connect, but we wanted to to thank you all, um, for listening. And if you were at WonderCon, let us know what you liked or didn't like about it. Um, let us know. And, um, we'll be back to our regular, regular scheduled programming next week. Uh, Conrad, where can people find you online? Online, they can find me on Twitter. My handle is at DiePrince. And on my other podcast about zombies and all the things undead, um, that is reanimated and that is reanimatedpodcast.com and on Twitter, reanimatedpcast. And you can find me um, at brainknowsbetter.com where I am the science fiction psychologist and we'll have a full recap of our Psychology of Star Trek versus Star Wars panel there later this week. And on Twitter, I'm at Alima2 and this has been our WonderCon Spectacular. So until next time, live long and prosper.